Research for what? Hello and welcome to Research for What, the podcast that discusses scientific research, its purpose and impact. I'm your host, Ron Bouvray. Each week, I will interview recognized thought leaders who share the same passion for science and research and invest the energy, time or money. We will talk about the challenges and opportunities for research. I'm also very keen to find out how experts define impact and what methods they use to measure it. Every week, I will ask the question, research for what? In this first episode, I'm going to talk with Robert Gardos. Robert is a chair of PKD Australia, a foundation that was established in 2014 to find a cure for polycystic kidney disease, or PKD. PKD is a group of chronic kidney diseases where thousands of sacs filled with fluid, also called cysts, grow in the kidneys. PKD is the most common genetic kidney disease. I wanted to begin this podcast series by talking to Robert, because PKD Australia directly supports research by providing grants, but is also a strong advocate for families that are affected by the disease. Making the world a better place is why we do research. So Robert, why don't I start by asking you, what is PKD? PKD, polycystic kidney disease, is a disease, it's uh, an inherited genetic condition. It comes in two forms. There's the autosomal dominant form, which has a prevalence of between 1 in 400 and 1 in 1,000, and the autosomal recessive, uh, which has a prevalence of 1 in 20,000. The dominant form of PKD is the most common genetic disease uh, equivalent to cystic fibrosis, but very few people have heard of it. Polycystic kidney disease manifests itself by thousands of cysts forming in the kidneys and in other organs in the body, and they fill with fluid over time, and gradually the function of the kidney is compromised to the point that the person will either need dialysis or a transplant. So we talked before about the evolution of treatment or research in the last few years on PKD. Can you tell me more about this? In fact, my connection with PKD was about 10 years ago when I, had, uh, when I first heard of the term connecting a family that uh, we knew from the local school where the father had PKD, as we learned, And the incidence of PKD generally in a family is uh, one in two chance of each child. But all four children who we saw growing up over the years uh, had uh, polycystic kidney disease, the dominant form. So we realised that this is a a very serious uh, thing and we were looking, is there a cure for it? At the time, there wasn't a cure for it. There was no treatment, only for the symptoms. We then started to get involved in funding some research and the research was promising, but it was glacially slow and it was unlikely to help these four children in their lifetimes. So together with uh, the family of the, uh, the fellow who passed away from uh, having had polycystic kidney disease, or that, that wasn't the reason that he died, and another family who have the recessive form, we formed the uh, PKD Australia. And the reason we did it was that we wanted to focus attention on this disease, which until that point had been just grouped as another one of the chronic kidney diseases. But we felt that it was different because people knew about polycystic kidney disease long before they suffered from the effects of it because their parent or their grandparent would have had it. 
And as a child, you would see your, your parent, as in the case of the family that we started with, they saw their father doing dialysis at home. So they knew that if they have the disease, they will be facing that at some point in their life. So it's a psychological thing. It's emotional. It affects everything you do in your life, even if it doesn't physically affect you at the time. In our inquiries, we were told that the one thing you mustn't do is offer hope. And that led us to understand that there was this understand or this feeling of inevitability when you have polycystic kidney disease. And that's the thing that really forced us to form PKD Australia because it's different from chronic kidney disease or CKD as it's known, where it in most cases comes totally without any warning and you are very advanced in the, the disease. So I'm very interested to maybe discuss how you got engaged with research. We got engaged with research when we wanted to answer the question as to how do we solve the problem for these four children. So together with the, uh, the widow, we went to um, visit the renal department at Westmead Hospital, uh, where we met the head of department and one of the researchers, and they told us about the research that they're doing. They were both clinicians, so they were both involved actually in the treatment of this family the transplant that the father had had, the, uh, the mother the, uh, subsequently became the widow, donated the kidney. So there, there was an intimate connection there. And it was through that that we funded the first PhD student to do research into finding a cure for polycystic kidney disease. And it was a very early stage research. But as I said, it was going too slowly. So we had to do more than that. We needed to raise money to fund more research And that's really our prime purpose as uh, PKD Australia. So what were you expecting from research back then? We had no expectations. We only had hope that there would be a cure. Ultimately, we are looking for a cure. But we did realize we were practical enough to realize that along the way, people are going to be affected by polycystic kidney disease. It's going to make their lives very difficult, whether it's a burst cyst or cyst inflammation, or much worse than that, because the cysts don't only form in the kidneys, but also in the liver. They can also appear as aneurysms in the heart, in the brain. And one of the worst outcomes is obviously a brain aneurysm, which leads to a stroke. So these are things that are very serious. The other parts of it were part of the inevitability that you will have pain, you will have discomfort, you may end up on dialysis. If you're lucky, you'll have a transplant, but a, a transplanted heart doesn't last forever either. So our hope was that we would find a cure or that we would find treatments. At that point, this is 2014, there were some clinical trials going on uh, elsewhere in the world, but uh, there hadn't been any outcomes of those yet. And so what sort of research have you supported during the last six or seven years? We've supported basic research, we've supported clinical research, I don't know the term, or less traditional scientific research. We've supported uh, research into studying quality of life, into life management, diet, things like this, anything that potentially will improve the path of a person with polycystic kidney disease. In my mind, it is difficult for researchers to know what is going on in the world and to interact with patients or groups and users, consumers. 
Did you find this engagement difficult? Was it easy for you to engage with researchers? It was easy to engage with researchers because one of the first things we did was to set up a scientific advisory board and the chair of our scientific advisory board is acknowledged as the uh, the leading expert in polycystic kidney disease right. in Australia. So he then suggested a number of people around Australia and in New Zealand who he had dealt with over the years who would be very supportive. Some of them are clinicians, some of them are pure researchers. And with them, we were able to understand what research is being done. And we don't direct the research. What we do as uh, our philosophy is that we ask for applications for research grants, which we've now had four rounds of. And it's open to anybody who, who proposes any sort of research project. They're, in most cases, only seed grants so that people can investigate and then develop a good application to go for funding based on the merits of a, a major grant round, which we don't have the resources for. We then send the applications back to the scientific advisory board to review them, right. and only when we get their opinion on them do we, as the, the board of PKD Australia, evaluate them, uh, whether we agree with the scientific advisory board. We don't usually change our views hugely from theirs other than to introduce things that they might not rate highly because they are not purely science and we might prioritise it a little bit higher than they would. But we are guided by them. We have also done two rounds where we have co-funded with our US counterparts. On the proviso, these are big grants and they are open internationally. The proviso is that the applicant, the successful applicant is doing research in Australia. So it's uh, reviewed by the US review panel. It has nothing to do with, uh, with us and only if an Australian is involved in it and it is considered to be of world class, do we pay our share of the grant and the, re the grant, uh, uh, sorry, the research is carried out in Australia as a consequence. What are the outcomes that you look for in the research you support? Very simply, the outcomes are uh, that we have more knowledge about dealing with polycystic kidney disease. So whether it be in trying to understand potential treatment mechanisms or it's to do something as simple as not that we found the solution to it, but trying to understand the mechanism of uh, hypertension, which is not something that is exclusive to polycystic kidney disease, but many other conditions also carry it. But it's one of the major markers of polycystic kidney disease. So if we are able to help to find treatments that make treating hypertension easier, we would be very happy for everybody to benefit from that. Often the outcomes of scientific research is, one of the outcomes is to produce scientific publications in very specialized journals that can really be understood, dissected by a small circle of experts. Do you find that the research you support is easily digestible by you, the patients, the, the families? We do ask that the researchers present a lay version of their uh, report, their interim report and their final report. We ask for that. We think it's very important that they put it in very simple terms so that we can understand it. We don't expect 
the researchers to spend too much of their time engaging with us because their intellectual potential is far greater than just to inform us like that. But it is important. I'm a, a huge believer that science communication is a very important component in science because to be able to explain it to a layperson often means that the researcher actually understands it better than just explaining it to another researcher who has a, uh, a basic knowledge already. So I think in the way we fund research at the moment and from what we expect from researchers, it is very focused on two main metrics. One is producing papers and the second is bringing grants and funding. Do you have a different relationship with the researchers? Do you use different selection criteria and do you have, do you wish, do you hope for different outcomes? We haven't really discussed this as an organization, but I certainly have my own thoughts on the merit of a scientific papers. It's very important to publish what you find. To add to a tally of papers is of less relevance from my perspective, but I do think it is very important to be able to share your findings with other researchers in other parts of the world. And this is one of the benefits that we have seen uh, since we have been attending in, uh, conferences, which we try to get to as much as possible, because we find that the interaction between researchers, both within Australasia and throughout the world, has led to some really interesting conversations. It's a little too early to know whether that will lead to any great findings, but the discussions that we have overheard have been very exciting. So I think this dissemination of information, whether it be in paper form or in other form, I think is vital. And I think it's also a way of eliminating the waste of people doing the same work in different parts of the world, uh, even if they come up with the same good answer, but it's even more wasteful if they both come up with the same failure. Yes. Uh, so in the many years you've interacted with researchers, how is your relationship? Can, do you find you can influence researchers in how they think, not necessarily in what they do, but in how they think and how they may listen to patients or their families? Very much so. Not so much listening to us, but listening to the patients, to our community. What we do is that we go around Australia where we do patient seminars. We've now done... I think we're up to 16. We've done it in most of the capital cities. We've done it in regional towns and we've done repeats in a few cities. So what we try to do is that we will have a clinician speaking about the physical aspects of the, uh, the disease. We'll have a researcher speaking about their particular interest and how it relates to, to polycystic kidney disease. We often have a renal social worker or a renal dietitian and then we will always have patients speaking. And we had one very memorable seminar about two years ago where the patient uh, spoke about living with polycystic kidney disease, the aspect that it is intergenerational, the fact that you have fear of what's ahead of you and you have guilt for what you've passed on to your children. And at the end of the evening, the clinician who helped to organise and who knew the patients came over to me and said that I had never really thought that I was dealing with a whole person. I always thought I was just dealing with a kidney. 
Right. So this connection has been repeated at all of our seminars. So the the doctors understand that they are dealing with a whole person who is part of a family and it affects everybody. I didn't realize to what degree, but I'm starting to understand that myself. Do you find you have to force people to come together or are people, clinicians, researchers, patients, quite willing to come together? I think if they had the time, they are very willing to come together. Unfortunately, nobody has that much time and it becomes difficult to do. But there is an acknowledgement, and I, I don't know whether it's exclusive to, to kidney disease, but there is an acknowledgement that because the engagement is so long with a person that you, you really do want to do the right thing. And I have had discussions with many kidney specialists about this, that they really have a very close connection with their patient. And until recently, there was this feeling of helplessness because they really couldn't offer the patient anything other than dealing with the symptoms of it. Is that because the patient's expectations are too high? Do they want to see an outcome, a treatment too soon? Or is the research too slow? I think if you ask the patient, the research is too slow. If you ask the researcher, the expectation is too high. The reality is that nobody knows how long it will take to come up with the answer. The first drug to be introduced in Australia was introduced on the 1st of January in 2019, and it was a revelation. It's not a drug for everybody. It um, Even for those who can take it, it has very heavy side effects. You have to drink vast amounts of water and there is um, a risk, although it's not a huge risk, that uh, liver function can be compromised. So the monitoring of the patient is, is very, very strict and this can be quite a burden. But the fact that there was one treatment that became available energized the community to wanting to know what else there is. Are there more clinical trials coming? How can they be involved in clinical trials? So it made a huge difference. It was like a switch being turned on. And so how do you balance these high expectations and relatively slow research? I think there is a huge potential in bringing researchers, clinicians and patients together. But if the expectations are not aligned, um, how do you ensure that the relationship lasts? Our experience has been that the patient is extraordinarily patient, right. excuse the pun, because this has been a disease that has gone for generation after generation after generation. And it's most likely that the person that we have engaged with, whether it's a, a person in their 30s or a person in their 50s or a person in their 60s, they will have been aware of the fact that at some point in their life, their everyday life is going to be impacted by this disease that they have been carrying. To give you an example of the impact, there are many examples where people's kidneys will weigh five kilos each. A normal kidney weighs 150 grams. So you can imagine you're carrying this weight in your abdomen and it just impacts on everything, not, not even when it has the cysts being inflamed or or bursting or anything, the fact is you're carrying this weight, you can't eat much because there's not a lot of room, 
and you have this thing. And in fact, at the last seminar, a lady mentioned to me that the problem she has is that her kidney actually folds over. Right. It's so big and that makes it very uncomfortable. I'd never heard that before. Yes, yeah. So it, it's really these aspects of it that people until now have had to live with. Now, these people will have to continue to live with it, but in many cases with the advent of genetic testing, which is the other big revelation that has come, there is the possibility and it's an option. It's not available to everybody yet because it's, it's rather expensive, but there is the possibility that using um, in vitro fertilization and uh, other techniques associated with it, you can now eliminate polycystic kidney disease from your branch of the family tree. And there are families who have done that, and that is a terrific option. It's not for everybody. It's everybody's choice. But we are advocating that it should be made available and accessible to everybody in Australia because it makes a huge impact to their quality of life. It makes a huge impact to our society and it makes a huge impact to their family. So now you've been supporting and evaluating research on PKD for six, seven years. What has changed in the last six or seven years and where do you think we're going? There's certainly more research being undertaken today than there was in Australia and elsewhere. There are many clinical trials being run. There's uh, a lot of research into repurposing existing drugs. We're talking about 12 million people estimated worldwide, and this is a disease that doesn't differentiate between gender, between race or geography. So we are talking about people all over this planet who are affected by it. So we just want to support good research that may lead to a better life and ultimately a cure for PKD. And wherever it is, whoever it is, even if they've never heard of polycystic kidney disease, we're looking for the best research. We, we have been thinking, we've been talking about it for a while, of, setting a, of trying to support a centre of excellence, uh, but we feel that while that may be a very good model, we'd prefer to try to create more interest in, in what we're trying to find a cure for than just to have a very focused group. We talked about clinicians, researchers, patients and their families. Are there other players that we haven't talked about in that quest to find a cure for PKD? We haven't really talked about the competing interests for research funding. There is a lot of research being done into very many worthwhile diseases and causes uh, in the world. And I think the one thing that I think is causing a certain amount of leakage of research funding is the fact that everybody is very siloed. If you are researching and raising money for kidney research, then that is your focus. If you're doing it for heart research, if you're doing it for cancer research, that's your focus. There isn't any mechanism, and I I can't imagine how it would work, but I would like to see a mechanism whereby there can be a prioritization of where the funding should go based on need, based on the potential benefit, and based on the economic benefit. Because some of the treatments that one reads about in the press nowadays are 
so expensive that if it was successful and it was widely applied, I don't think any health system on earth would be able to to afford it. So is that worthwhile research is a question that I, I think needs to be asked. I don't know the answer to it. Similarly, I think there is a lot of competition to raise money and there is a lot of competition to do research into the areas that are deemed to have more money rather than deemed to have the greatest need. Right. What do you think the opportunities are for PKD research? What can we hope it will deliver? I think PKD research is going through a very interesting period from a number of aspects. There is the understanding that you can identify people very early and you can track their progress. And this is a very powerful tool that we've been encouraging the formation of a registry for this so that if you can come up with a lifestyle modification or a diet or some very simple therapy that may be as simple as drinking water, then you can apply it to people who have not yet come into the kidney health system because they haven't had the need. They don't have the cyst pain. They don't have the high blood pressure yet. But if they can push out the need for the drugs, for the dialysis, for the transplant by 10 years, by 20 years, this is going to be very significant. And we, we believe that by being able to identify people in families, that it will make for a very, very comprehensive database of people where you can get them for clinical trials or any other trial very easily, follow them very accurately, and uh, and get a lot of meaningful information. On the other side, our sister organization in the in the UK, together with a, an organization called the James Lind Alliance, put together a survey which they've shared uh, worldwide, which shared with our community, where they asked their community to come up with questions as to uh, what are the things that they want to have answered about polycystic kidney disease. They started with 117 questions. Between PKD Charity and the James Lind Alliance, they boiled it down to 35 questions and they shared that in the survey and they asked every participant to cut the 35 down to 10 or less. Yes. So it'll be very interesting to see what the findings are of this, because this is what they're hoping to direct PKD research initially in the UK, but they will share it in its raw form as well as in regional form with uh, all the participants who have taken part in it. So we will get a better understanding. We've already done it anecdotally ourselves, but we'll get a better understanding of what patients are looking for. Um, We want to temper their enthusiasm, but we are looking for gradual small steps that will make it easier to deal with it on the path to a cure for polycystic kidney disease. And one of the foremost PKD research experts has predicted that in his lifetime, there will be a cure for PKD. And I hope that's, that's correct. Great. Thank you very much. I think that's a perfect way to end. Robert, thank you very much for your time and for having me. It's been a pleasure to discuss Thank you very much again. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Research for What. To connect and find more information about this episode, check out researchforwhat.com. Until next week. Research for What. <laughs>